Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. And welcome back to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. I know you're going to love our next guest. Gabriela Esteras is your classic serial entrepreneur. Most people dream of building a successful company and exiting for a wonderful multiple. Not many people go on and do it twice. And yet, that's exactly what my next guest has done. She's been focused in the SaaS world. She's a CEO. She's a leader. She's built two amazing companies that have had huge exits to Fortune 500 listed companies. I know, you know, when you talk to people who have achieved this kind of success, I love their approach because you know, I think we all can talk about timing and being lucky, but like we've often heard, great entrepreneurs often make their own luck. And Gabby's really a great example of that. Um, she's obviously somebody who's very, very smart and knew, knew what she was doing, but being able to go out there and, as she put it, really engineer a business to deliver the kind of results they wanted uh, takes a special kind of smarts. You know, when I, when I was chatting to Gabby, I think she dropped an enormous amount of insights on us as well. You know, this idea that sometimes you don't even realize your whole vision on day one. Like these things sometimes take time to evolve and, and they take on a life of their own. And, you know, Gabby talks us through how they did that and how they approached it and, and what were some of the strategic decisions they made on this journey to achieve the kind of exit they did, which, by the way, was an enormous multiple of annual recurring revenue. So I'll let you hear it in the episode. Thanks for joining. I know you'll enjoy this episode. This is Gabrielle Esteras. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Hi, Simon. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to unpacking your story. So, uh, um, Gabby, I've had the benefit of maybe having a little look over your profile leading into this, but, but just for our audience, um, maybe you could just give them a little bit of a background and, and sort of where you came from and all that sort of stuff, and then we'll, we'll get into the businessy stuff in a minute. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, a little bit of uh, my background, I'm uh, originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and uh, I like to say that I went to the United States for two years, 26 years ago. So I never, <laughs> I never head back. But um, so uh, my background, I'm a software engineer, and um, I did my master's degree in information science, and I went to work for law firms. And that's where um, I started my, let's say, my career as an entrepreneur. I built uh, two high-growth SaaS uh, legal tech uh, companies. 
end up with two successful exits to Fortune 500. Uh, my first company, Billing Hub, it was acquired by Thomson Reuters, and uh, that company was uh, bootstrapped. And we grew that company very large. It was acquired. And then we stayed in legal tech and we started Benfield with, um, you know, we grew that company in about seven years. We got acquired by Robert Tech um, that has one legal uh, vertical within that. And that was in 2019, right before COVID. And fast forward, I had the opportunity to start a VC fund, a small fund, focused on investing in female-led startups. And that's my passion by now. That's what I'm doing. And uh, and that's a little bit of myself. I love it. I love it. You've you've made it, obviously been very successful and you're paying it forward and helping other people's on, people on their journey, which, hey, that's what this podcast is about, right, is sharing stories like yours so other people can hopefully... Uh, learn from them and, and shortcut their success. So, um, but I do love Gabby. I've got to say, you know, most people would love to build one company and make it successful and sell it to a Fortune 500 company. Um, I've even had people on my show sometimes who say, you know, I was pretty lucky. Um, but I think if you've done it twice, that whole idea of luck kind of goes out the window. I'm starting to think this is very much a skill and a smarts kind of thing. <laughs> maybe, right? I mean, maybe it was lucky, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> But I would say, Simon, that it's always a, a, a lucky factor, right? Just, uh, you know, the ability that I was able to leave Venezuela before the crisis started, that was a matter of luck, right? And, uh, and, uh, but again, I mean, I, I like to say that, uh, um, you know, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Right. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, you make your own luck. I I totally agree with that. Um, so so talk me through. I'd, I'd like you know. I guess every good story has a beginning, middle, and end. So maybe talk to me a little bit about what what's it like to start a SaaS company. Um, you know, did you have partners? Did you have an exit plan in mind? How long? You know, what did you think the journey would look like when you were starting these businesses? Yeah. So um, starting out. Um, we knew that we wanted to build amazing software and solve problems. Um, and um, through the journey, we learned that uh, if we build amazing solutions that really help people and we add value, we're going to get revenue in return. So we didn't start out like, okay, we're going to sell this for $1 billion, $2 billion, right? It was more like uh, we're so... I mean, it, it, it's hard to think that you're going to be passionate about legal tech, right? And work, <laughs> right? Kind of like, a, it's hard to fathom, right? But I think well, I was more passionate about solving problems, right? Creating very innovative uh, technology. And uh, in doing that really well, Simon, uh, success will follow you. Yes. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it's, um, you know, people can be too focused on the success and you end up chasing your tail. It's, you know, in the end, it's all about people and, and <clears throat> real world problems, I think, is it seems to be a common thread with most of the people I've spoken to. <laughs> and, and did you, you said we a few times. So did you have business partners when you started off? Yes. Uh, yes, of course. Um, I had uh, in my two companies. 
Um, I had uh, my co-founder and CTO, uh, which happens to be my husband. Cool. So, yes, uh, two companies, uh, two uh, boys, two kids, and in uh, many years uh, of marriage. So yes, so uh, it, it is not very usual, right, to have uh, this journey uh, with your, you know, spouse. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. My my wife is the co-founder of our business. And in fact, every business we've done, we've done together. It's 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 funny. I, I friends of mine, you know, we were having a few drinks on a Friday, and and a couple of mates were saying to me, "So you work together, you live together. We saw you out exercising together the other day. Like this is weird. You guys are weird." <laughs> and I, I I had to try to explain to them that it's this weird odd sensation or odd scenario that I actually really like my wife. It's uh, you know maybe a bit strange, but. <laughs> Have you found that working together has any specific um, or distinct advantages or disadvantages compared to other business relationships? I think it's, um, I mean, it could be, at least in our case, it was a tremendous advantage. And uh, the reason why it was a tremendous advantage, uh, we were 24-7 thinking how we were going to solve the problems, how we were going to innovate, right? And uh, and kind of like uh, uh, this uh, interaction of thinking, um, solving problems, I think it gave us a competitive advantage. Uh, of course, I, I think uh, part of the key on that assignment, it's um, three things. We knew our roles. Uh, I was CD, uh, CEO, he was CTO. Uh, we have clarity, you know, that I was running uh, the direction of the company. We were uh, working on the vision. And uh, so we didn't um, step on each other's toes for the most part. And we developed a um, protocol for conflict resolution. So we, we couldn't agree, right, or there was uh, too much of a... Uh, um, you know, we were not aligned, so we had a protocol on how we were going to resolve it. That's for another podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Um, I, I, I ask a question here, at, I guess, from my own experience, but it's, um, I, I certainly, well, maybe it's more of a statement. I, I certainly know with my wife, there are times when, you know, sometimes you can't, you've got so much going on in your business that, you know, you you're wanting to voice it, but the other person is at that point where they don't want to talk business anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and- yeah, yeah. So um, we we kind of like agree, right, that if we could not have a, I'm Latin, right? Uh, my husband is from Spain, also very Latin. So we will get in very passionate discussions about technology, direction, vision. And uh, part of this uh, protocol, it was uh, if we cannot uh, have a dialogue in how we're going to solve this problem, we're going to put it away, right? And uh, we continue uh, the next day and we don't talk about this issue anymore, right? So kind of like a settle, right? And uh, and we come back and revisit, right? And then, you know, and there were some norms of uh, conduct, right? (laughs) And uh, you know, 
you know, that, uh, I mean, we couldn't get too passionate about it, right? So, yeah, interesting. But, I mean, we kind of like developed that over time, uh, Simon. It didn't, it was very passionate. And, uh, and even for our employees, it was hard for them to really understand. Very, I mean, we're very, very Latin, right? That, uh, you know, we're having these uh, very passionate discussions, right? And then we woke out and we're incredibly happy and laughing and all that. Right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you've got to be passionate about things too, but I can appreciate that. It's, uh, yeah, that's cool. There's always an interesting dynamic with merging personal and business life. Um, what, one of the things I've always found um, as a benefit too is that like when you're trying to take on the whole world out there and do great things and manage all the challenges, it's good to know that somebody's got your back, right? Somebody that you can just trust. You don't, you know, you don't have to fight a war on two fronts. It's sort of, well, hopefully doing business is not like doing a war, but you know, you're out there, right? You're putting yourself out there, you're taking risks, you're doing all that stuff. And I think as soon as you split and you're, you're divided on two fronts, it's very, very hard to achieve anything. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so, Gabby, talk to me a little bit about startups for, for SaaS companies. I mean, there's I, I seem to talk to a lot of SaaS entrepreneurs these days. And, um, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of decision points here of do we try to bootstrap? Do we seek funding? Do we, you know, there seems to be lots of different routes. When do we expect to make money? All this sort of stuff. Like, you know, if somebody's sitting here looking at the beginning of a, uh, starting a new SaaS business, I mean, what, what are some of the things you would suggest they need to be aware of? That's a complex uh, question because, I mean, it depends on, you know, the vertical, right? The experience of the founders. But uh, in, you know, our own experience, um, the first company, we bootstrapped that company. The main reason that uh, we bootstrapped that company, it's uh, because, I mean, we were foreigners. Uh, we didn't have access to the VC uh, network, right? And, uh, and we knew that we were able to build you know, this technology ourselves. So uh, it took us a lot longer uh, as we would have raised capital. So the second time around, we had a successful exit. The second time, uh, we didn't raise uh, money. And uh, so we put our own capital uh, on the second company. But uh, in, in Simon, I think this uh, kind of like uh, tied into kind of like at the core of the podcast uh, towards the, um, you know, towards the, the end, I think uh, six years into the business, we were growing very rapidly, you know, 100, 150% year over year. And, um, and you know, kind of like uh, the, the, the successes that uh, bring you, you know, to, you know, the first couple of million dollars, right? And you continue to grow, the skills change, right? So whatever your success at the beginning, is not what, what is going to take you there, right? So, uh, you know, we understood uh, that in order, you know, to become, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a large company, uh, we needed at different levels of skill. So what we thought, I mean, we were already, you know, uh, the, the established uh, solution in the market. You know, we had the largest law firms in the world using our solutions, large accounting firms. And uh, so we decided, how do we take the company to the next level? And we have started uh, doing an equity uh, um, race, equity growth uh, race. Um, in, so a year before we sold the company, 
uh, we were approached by a number of private equities. A little bit of that, it's uh, at some point we were uh, growing, you know, very rapidly, and uh, we became an acquisition target. So once you become this uh, acquisition target, you start getting inbound calls from VCs, private equities, investment bankers, right? And so, you know, I, I, Simon, I think we would have probably like uh, five calls a week uh, inbound. It, it, it was very active and we will entertain. And through that, you, it was a great exercise, Simon, because uh, to start learning and understanding who you want to partner with, either for acquisition, uh, growth, um, equity, and those type of things. And you also start building relationships with these, um, you know, um, investment bankers, uh, private equities, receive. And uh, that well, so the year before we sold um, Simon, we got three unsolicited offers, and um, I mean we weren't surprised because I mean you already are engaging into these conversations, and probably for uh, you listeners, something that uh, we knew we knew the industry really well. Uh, we knew uh, what uh, the range of devaluations of world companies right so um, it didn't come as a surprise so we were kind of up so you need to know uh, what is going to be your range um, and I'm talking from the software SaaS you know type of uh, businesses so um, we did get these uh, uh, offers and uh, we say okay let's entertain these offers and we can do it ourselves. So we have great lawyers, of course. We know many, many lawyers. We have great accountants. We know many accountants, so we can enter, entertain this process. So when you know we started kind of like understanding what is in these LOIs, right? What is in this in these term sheets, right? So that um, um, the complexity, right, in the things that you know got a little bit tricky, it's uh, when we started seeing uh, earnouts. In these um, LOIs, right? So you know, we had a team of uh, lawyers, right? Uh, and we decided to park the process. So we decided uh, we are uh, not gonna go forward. So I mean, we don't have to do it right now. And probably in a year, we will revisit it and we'll uh, work with an investment banker. And that's what we did. That's that's really fascinating. I, you know, you're getting five calls a week. I mean, how much of a distraction can this be from your everyday core business? Um, I mean, Simon, that was my job, right? So I like to say that as the CEO, uh, you know, you are kind of like at the first um, line, right? And uh, it, it it was a distraction, but what I will say, it's uh, the more you do it, the better you get, right? And were you prepared to that? So yeah, it could have been, but I think it was very beneficial for the outcomes that we were able to achieve in how we run the business that I would love to tell you about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, let's let's let me take it back a step a bit. Why don't you tell tell us a little bit more about those businesses and and if you can give us some context around size and things like that. Just just I mean whatever you can share. I obviously appreciate confidentiality, but um, yeah. 
take us take us through them. Yeah. So um, again, I mean, we were um, a player in in legal tech. So um, in terms of um, you know sizes and transaction, still that's uh, something that we cannot uh, disclose uh, much. Sure. Right? But uh, but I mean, we you know we were um, growing. Um, you know, 150% year over year. So that gives you a little bit of uh, the track record, what it will be, you know, seven years uh, after, right? And and obviously it's a SaaS model, it's recurring revenues. Um, what Can you tell me how do, because we talk about valuation and there are lots of different methodologies for valuation. So I guess without revealing your your numbers, was there a particular methodology typically that was used in your your instance? Like, how did they come up with the number? Yes. And uh, so for this uh, vertical that we were, right, uh, which is uh, legal tech and, uh, you know, uh, accounting tech, we knew that, uh, you know, well-run companies, and I will define right after what is a well-run company, uh, valuations were, great valuations were between five and a half, six X and 10, uh, which is... Uh, where you want it to be, on ARR. Of, yeah, so annual recurring revenue? Annual recurring revenue, right? So um, in something that I, the second time around, um, we did really well. It's uh, from the beginning, Simon, we decided to engineer the company that we wanted to grow and be very successful. So that's why when I said a well-run company, uh, in SaaS, there's something that, you know, uh, is called the rule of 40. Uh, the rule of 40, it's uh, if you add up uh, growth and uh, earnings, EBITDA, it should be at least 40%, right? So either, you know, you have 40% growth and zero EBITDA, right? And still, uh, in our case, right, 40 percent was kind of like a deferred minimum, right? So they're looking for like a 80%. So um so um we 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 understood uh the industry, uh the multiples, right? What was uh, you know building a successful company. So when we sold uh we were 99% recurrent revenue and I would like to double click on that a little bit later. Why did it so important? Really focus on recurrent revenue because that's what you get value on. So you know we had a ninety three percent growth profit margins, uh, which is uh, what you really want when you're you know running a SaaS company. And uh, we were um, I'm gonna say very lucky, <laughs> but we were not. And uh, we had about a twenty eight percent EBITDA. So. So in the, so when you combine the growth right with the EBITDA with the profit margins and, and the retention and we had about a hundred and two percent retention, <clears throat> all these factors right uh, were instrumental for us to get uh, the highest valuation. And uh, so Simon, when I say engineering a company to success, it's that uh, you gotta keep this uh, in mind. From the very beginning, because not every revenue is a good revenue. Uh, in our case, because we were uh, selling to you know large organizations, uh, I mean we will fit more into the SaaS enterprise. We were very uh, deliberate in the 
staying away from consulting revenue, uh, is staying away from um, um, non-recurrent revenue because we were getting we were not going to get credit uh, for that. And um, and I um, a funny story. It's how our CTO he was known for being Mister No. So part of as the chief technology officer was saying no, right? And uh, and I think uh, you know something for us entrepreneurs to learn. It's uh, it is okay to say no, uh, because that can really work against your company in the long term. Yeah, that's uh, that's some fantastic advice there. I think it's uh, you know the. This concept of sh- constantly chasing shiny things, I think, is a very common, you know, analogy for a lot of business owners. So, um, yeah, that doubling down and focusing is is really interesting. Um, I, I read somewhere about even one of your solutions, and I think this was with Belfield about <clears throat> even doubling down on your niche within the legal space. Is that is that right? Have I got that right? Yes. Um, so. So exactly what do you mean doubling down in, in the legal space? Well, I mean, it, I was reading about, you know, instead of just targeting broadly the legal kind of industry that you started to even niche down within the legal industry on s- certain areas. Um, have I got yeah. that right? Yeah, no, no, no. That's uh, uh, our market and I think like a, um, like a other verticals, uh, they're segmented. In this industry, you have uh, the SMB, Right, um, small and medium. You have the large, and you have the the, the mega uh, clients. So we have started out, uh, you know, with the small um, and medium um, um, clients. And the reason it's uh, because their demands are a lot less. If you are working, you know, with a law firm or an accounting firm of uh, ten thousand people, right? Um, that works for us really well. So we're really kind of like a made a name uh, for ourselves in that. And then we continue to build more enterprise feature, features to serve a more demanding audience. And more demanding from security audits, right? Um, ISO certifications, so two certifications and those type of things that this type of client demands. So we, we proved the solution. We really solved problems. We got our clients to really love um, you know the, the 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 application, and then you know we went off market. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Um, talk to me about product and 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 this. I guess the product and service that you offered for a bit. I I, I find um, I find a lot of entrepreneurs are come to some point, some crossroad in their journey, where they're looking for more growth. And they have this option through their mind of, do we diversify and start to offer new products or services to our existing customers? You know, hey, we've got legal tech. Um, we do timekeeping. Now we want to offer billing. I'm just picking stuff here. But, <laughs> um, you know, this whole idea of building additional stuff so you can cross-sell to those existing relationships, um, you know, clearly a much easier sell because they know you. Or really kind of doubling down on your your specific piece of tech or your specific product set. Um, d- did you find that, did that, did that decision or those those thoughts come to you guys as a business at some point? 
Yeah, I Simon, I love that question. I love it. So we had a vision. And you don't realize that vision on day one. So our vision was we wanted to own the lawyer's desktop. So we want to be in the few things that they touch because they don't touch excessive technology. They do have a finite number of functions. We want to be there. So what we did is we um, kind of like a, did the time tracking and the timekeeping really, really well. In that end, we started adding products uh, to augment the value of that function. So we added compliance. Imagine that you know you're serving a client, you are tracking your time, and you will know immediately whether you were gonna get paid by you know your client or no. So we did do that. Uh, you know, it was very we added another uh, um, product to help them to meet the defense policy, like you need to have these many hours, right? You need to enter your time, you know, within so many days. And so we built uh, about three other products, um, but they were complementary to really realize the vision. So it wasn't kind of like, a, a, you know, darts, you know, uh, you know, throwing dart, right? Yeah. Why yeah. I go back the, the importance of realizing uh, your vision, right? In 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 having at least to have some clarity on that early on, and then you realize you know how you want to execute it. You learn from that, and and of course, uh, once you have your client base, um, upselling it's uh, it's a lot quicker because the already established, you know, done acquiring uh, new customers. And for customer acquisition, uh, you have kind of like a, a other uh, solutions to sell. And uh, if they were using, a, a let's say, a, a competitor product, they could still uh, use the other solutions and still get value. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's really interesting. I guess it, it sounds like the things you introduced were highly leveraged into your existing product sets to help, well, I guess, make customers a lot more sticky as well as a lot more valuable. And that's, uh, and that's key because uh, we became so sticky. That's why retention was incredible, which it goes back to engineering a company for success, right? Retention as well. I'd like to touch on this topic a little bit more. Um, you know, I think you mentioned double clicking it before, which I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> we, we do a lot of valuations. We do a lot of, we've done a, a lot of transactions. We're doing many, many of them now. And it's often as a part of my job is explaining to business owners um, why in some cases our valuation expectations is perhaps sometimes lower than theirs. Um, and, and I'm often explaining this idea that, you know, look, your past is lovely and it's part of your, part of your story, but a buyer is buying your future, right? They're buying your future stream of revenue and profitability and all, and, and what the future opportunity is. Um, and I add to that, that 
I've never met a buyer yet who wants to buy a business and just keep doing what the previous owner did, right? Like they want to grow it. They want to scale it. They want to do all these sort of other cool things. But explaining to people that when a buyer looks at your business, they're really looking at that future, um, that future stream of profit and how reliable it is and what sort of risks sit around that, that not only that profit eventuating, but what are the risks that they will or won't be able to scale it as well? Um, and, and I think this is where this whole re uh, recurring revenue sort of part comes into play, right? Yes. Have you got any views around, I mean, for, for I don't know, maybe, maybe you can talk through your experience a little bit here. You've talked about retention rates and stuff like that, but how, how, how important is this in the discussions with buyers around valuation and getting a deal done? It, it, it is extremely important because, like you said, uh, it comes down to the future, right? I mean, they are paying uh, six, seven, ten times, right, uh, the value of your recurring revenue, right? Because, of, um, you know, for, for the future to really get 20x out of that investment. So, so what are the, the, the key pillars uh, of that? Um, there, there's a good green space and there is a very, and also white space, okay? So to continue upselling, you know, products to this uh, customer base, right? And uh, there is a green space within that vertical and other verticals. In our case, uh, you know, we were the leading in account, in, in, in legal, because uh, that was the vertical that we knew. We were very comfortable, but the other verticals were, I mean, were accounting because they also tracking in pretty much any professional services because they all have to keep track of their time. So the opportunities were many within this and many other. That's a, that's a key factor uh, for the acquire, right? The other is uh, what is the state of the technology? They don't want to buy or pay for technical debt. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, right? We don't want to pay for that. So, so please explain that to us for, for anybody who doesn't understand the term. Yes. So um, basically, uh, they want to make sure that the, the technology uh, that it's built is not uh, aching, right? Uh, it's solid. It's, uh, it's, it's built to continue to grow. And... Uh, Typically, the, the acquirer they have a they have either a thesis, uh, or they have a very strong vision. So having technical debt, so you may have great customers, right? You can be a name on the market in the market and have a, a technical debt that is gonna discount uh, your multiples. So you're gonna somehow you're gonna pay for that. So that's why. You know, especially for, for technology companies, uh, you know, have a, 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 a very solid uh, team, of course, right? But also keep that in mind that, uh, you know, you, you cannot be patching, right? And having kind of like a Frankenstein type of uh, architectures, right? Uh, because at some point, you know, you're going to get discounted uh, for yeah. that. Yeah, then, that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, the, the last favor assignment is a reputation, right? So, you know, um, you are buying, uh, um, I mean, you're paying a lot of um, um, money, right? 
for a company. So you want to make sure that there is some brand, um, you know, that it's in good standing so they can elevate that and incorporate it within their brand. So I think it's, uh, you know, their the reputation. Uh, of course, the, the metrics and the KPIs and all that uh, in, in, in the technical, at least for um, tech companies. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Gary. Thanks for that. I mean, it's I, I almost I'm imagining almost a vehicle in mind, you know, like they're buying a vehicle to get them from point A to point B. And they're looking at all these parts and saying, well, is it how well is this thing constructed? Um, can we trust the, the the manufacturer, the brand, the, you know, all this sort of stuff? It's, um, you know, ultimately, you're, you're selling them a solution ultimately for where they want to go, right? And it's they're, they're looking to see if it's fit for purpose. Exactly. And if, if it's in good standing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, when you finally did sell Belfield. Um, uh, you know, I understand you were getting all these offers. Um, that's got to be quite complimentary, getting that many offers and calls as well. So, <laughs> um, and, and clearly it's important to creating competitive tension, no doubt giving you confidence. You said that you stopped though, and then you, you kind of paused things for a little while. And then at some point, obviously, you got some investment bankers involved. What did the process look like once you decided to kind of really do it thoroughly? Like, how long did it take? What did that all look like? Yes. Um, awesome. Uh, we paused for about a year. And we're growing, right? And we really needed to focus on the growth. Uh, on the growth. And we did that. So um, at some point we realized, okay, we, I knew what was the number to give us the multiple that we wanted. So we hit that milestone and I said, okay, we can start the process right now. So pretty much we were ready to embark this journey. In a little bit of what I said before, we were already working on relationships with um, investment bankers, private equity. So when it came to decision time, I already had three amazing investment bankers that I wanted to do business with. So we went through the RSC process, right? And, uh, and we selected the, the, the best fit for us. Through that, and, uh, you know, and I, we really developed a great relationship with the investment banker. In that uh, I mean, we did a you know quality of earnings analysis before you know getting into all the, the details. And uh, the entire process uh, took about four months. Okay. Okay. So, which is relatively quickly, you know, for the size of the transaction. Um, it took about like a two month to go through uh, the the book. Um, in you know the pitch book, uh, getting you know all the metrics together. Uh, in after that, so we uh, went to market, and uh, we got solicitation for a hundred NDAs to look at the deal. And um, so after that, uh, we got uh, about forty um, inbounds that they wanted uh, to move forward, which uh, you know. 40%, it wasn't a bad uh, rate. That's a good strike, right? <laughs> and, uh, and from then, uh, we got uh, uh, 12 LOIs. Wow. 10. 
Congratulations. I mean, that in itself is, is uh, I think, testament to how good your business was. And uh, incredibly humble, um, I mean, throughout uh, the process. But uh, something that uh, uh, we did really, really well, um, Simon, it's um, we had all the uh, organization, we work with investment banker, they will check, double check every number. So when it will come to diligence time, uh, there were no discounts. Okay. Yeah, no, no surprises, right? No surprises. <laughs> no surprises. So, and so a little bit after that, and talking about uh, the process, so uh, we narrowed that down to to four, and um, out of those twelve, um, you know, in the old days before COVID, um, you will have uh, the you know the, the investors to come in. You take them to dinner, right? You have a full day presentation, right? So uh, we did that for uh, 10 of them, and uh, which is a very intense uh, process. And you're trying to keep some confidentiality with the employees, right? So sometimes we will go to them uh, because, I mean, we didn't want to kind of like, uh, uh, you know, if the transaction wouldn't go, we didn't want to cause, you know, alarm or, or chaos within the organization. So we narrowed it down uh, to to um, four, then uh, to three. But having uh, four people interested, Simon, which is what I believe that we could have not done this without the investment bankers and the professional, it created um, um, kind of like a bidding uh, situation. So, which is, you know, ideally uh, what you want. And uh, in at the end, uh, Simon, uh, we chose the um, partner that we wanted to. All of them were amazing, and uh, probably hear the the podcast. But we believe that Robert, uh, you know, was uh, the we had the best alignment, the best alignment in terms of industry, the best alignment uh, in terms of employees, and uh, we closed the transaction in 45 days with Thanksgiving included. So, and it went as planned. So, uh, planning planning helps. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed. It does indeed. Um, and, that, and that is a very quick time. Did you, um, I, I find all transactions tend to have either one or more component to them. You know, there's maybe cash up front, there's maybe a deferred and maybe earnouts and stuff like that. Can you, can you share any kind of sort of, did you have earnouts? Did you have any of that sort of stuff? How long did you have to hang around? Um, yes, um, that was uh, that was part of the early conversations. Um, we had a, we had two type of um, buyers. We had um, financial buyers where they were the private equities. Typically, uh, they will buy let's say eighty uh, percent of the assets, and you will continue to stay in the company, running the business and taking it to the next level. And for founders, it's called, you know, taking the second bite of the apple, right? And, you know, that was incredible because, I mean, the private equities that we were working with, it was uh, tier one, amazing. And, uh, but the strategic buyer, it was a 100% uh, sell, cash sell. So uh, pros and cons, um, but, um, 
But um, but I think um, so we went uh, with a, a strategic um, buyer, a hundred percent, and uh, we knew that um, they had uh, their organization, uh, you know, kind of like uh, uh, to repeat what you said, they had their own vision, they had their own plans. So what we agree that we will better serve the organization just doing a transition, and they kind of like uh, um, taking it to the next level that their vision, um, you know, was going to take it. So we um, stayed three months uh, for the transition. It was um, it went great. Uh, we did it on time. And then I, you know, I was without a job. <laughs> <laughs> Which I suspect is a bit of a rare situation for you. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. Did you feel any kind of a little emotional stuff at the end? Like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm giving up my baby or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, it was hard. I don't think uh, you have to live through that. I don't think anything can prepare you for that. I thought that I was prepared. I thought that we made a very rational decision, but uh, when the moment comes, it's um, it's a sense of emptiness. And um, you know, I talked about that after we did the transition and we uh, we saw I my identity went with that as well. So I. I, you know, I was uh, I had a name in the in the vertical, right? Um, I I love what I was doing, and uh, you know, and all of a sudden I have to kind of like uh, wonder, am I who am I, right? I'm not the Belfield CEO anymore, in uh, in kind of like I learned that my identity was not hundred percent tied to that. And um, I went through kind of like a, a trying to reinvent myself uh, through that. And I think, uh, you know, this next phase, Simon, is the best thing, you know, uh, that, I, that I could have ever wished, which is uh, investing in the next generation of uh, female uh, founders. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Talk to me a little bit about the fund, if you can. I'm, I'm cognizant of your time here, but um, can you tell us a little bit about the fund? What sort of business do you look for? What's an ideal kind of, uh, I don't want to say target. I mean, what's the kind of the ideal kind of people that you invest in, other than being yeah. obviously female? <laughs> so we, we're in a small fund, and uh, we invest in early stage uh, startups where the a CEO, it's a woman. And we decided to draw a hard line uh, on that. So um, we participated in, in rounds that are like a half a million to a million and a half uh, with some valuations kind of like a, around less than 10 million. So that's our sweet spot, early stage. And we believe with, that's when the capital is needed the most for, um, you know, let's say minority founders. And uh, in terms of, I mean, we're vertical agnostic. So we invest in companies that are uh, technology companies or tech-enabled um, companies. 
And, and yeah, uh, anybody that is listening to the podcast with right now, this fund invests only in U.S. companies. But um, so, you know, probably the next fund will be uh, international. But um, but yeah, so anybody that is listening to podcasts that, uh, uh, you know, have an early stage startup, with, um, you know, founded by, by women, we would love to hear. And our fund is part of a global fund, and we have a fund in Australia. So... Cool. Yeah. So, 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 um, so you're saying you've got a fund in Australia. So, but, but at the moment, it's US companies. Hopefully, down the track, it'll be international. I certainly know a number of female entrepreneurs here who uh, are also looking for investment and things like that. So, um, uh, if nothing else, I will point them in your direction so that they can at least understand who you guys are. Because I think if you're all pulling in the same direction, that's a that's a good thing, right? It's it's about helping good people with good ideas. So, uh, so congratulations. Yes, in seven, the numbers are not in our favor. Uh, in 2021, uh, 2% of the VC uh, deploy uh, dollars in the US went to women, only 2%. So, you know, there, there's some good work to, to be done there. There's a lot of work to be done there. <laughs> so, but I suspect that with people like you on the uh, on the mission, Gabby, I think we'll start to see some change. So, um Absolutely. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed listening to your story. I, I could probably talk to you all day about other stuff and I've got a million other questions, but I, I do appreciate you coming on and sharing. I think I think there's some really great insights. I was, you know, tapping away and writing a few notes as we were going because I just think there's some really brilliant insights to share. So, you know, you've been really generous. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much. Awesome. Um, for anyone listening, if you would like to reach out, um, we will put some links in the show notes so that you can get in touch with Gabby, certainly so you can um, check out the fund, her LinkedIn site. Um, you know, if you do uh, reach out somewhere, maybe just let Gabby and her team know that uh, you heard her on the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast so they have a little bit of context. But other than that, I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.